Good morning, church. I invite you to take your Bible and open it to the book of Exodus. And we'll be in Exodus chapter 12 through 13 today, but I'll be reading Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, if you want to turn there now, as we continue in our series in the book of Exodus, entitled, Our Response to the Intentional Love of God. And today we're going to be thinking on the idea of being ready, ready to follow Jesus. So let me read Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, then I'll pray and we'll dive right in. The word of God reads as follows. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would come by your mercy right now. That you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. You would open our hearts that we might love you above everything else that you might strengthen our will and ambition that we might abound in love more and more and that we might follow you wherever you call us to go father i pray that our yes is on the table that whatever you say we say yes to and so god we just ask that you would shape us and make us ready to follow christ I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready to go? There's a question that might have different meanings in different people's minds in your home. But if someone says, hey, are you ready to go? Here, let me tell you something. It does not mean I'm planning on it, but I have made really no attempt at all to get there. So you can't answer yes if that's your mentality. Are you ready to go? I think in our home, we've come to agree that you are dressed. Then when the question is asked, you could stand up, gather all the kids or all the things and walk to the car like you are ready to go. The question is not mysterious. It's, are you ready to eat? It's either yes, and that means you could sit down and eat food now or in about 30 minutes or no. There is this sense of, are you ready? And Jesus asks us this question today. He asks us, are you ready? Ready for what? Well, Jesus tells us that his followers must be ready. First of all, ready for his coming. He will come again. And in Matthew 24, 44, he says, Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's coming. And we don't know when. Will we be ready? Peter tells us to be prepared or ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you in 1 Peter 3.15. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to give that defense when someone asks you, why are you hopeful? Are you ready? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, readiness involves a preparation. It involves a waiting. It involves an acting, an alertness to the things of God. He says this, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action 
and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. It's this idea of he's sitting at the window just waiting for his master to come home so that when he comes home, he can just be ready to open the door when he comes. Are you ready? This phrase, stay dressed for action in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, is an echo of what we just read at the beginning of our time together from Exodus chapter 12. This dressed for action, it's what God is commanding the people of Israel to do in Luke 12, 11, when he says, in this manner you shall eat of it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And so it pulls together at least one lesson God wants us to have today. And it's this, we must be ready to follow him as he leads us deeper into his likeness. Are you ready? Are you ready to follow him wherever, whenever? So the question before us today is what characterizes this kind of readiness? The readiness for the coming of Jesus, the readiness for to give a defense for the hope that you have in Christ, this readiness to follow him wherever, whenever. What characterizes that kind of readiness? Well, there's three things. One, loosening roots in God's creation. Readiness is characterized by loosening roots in this earth, in God's creation. It's also characterized by, two, remembering God's work. Readiness is a remembering of God's work. And three, it is characterized by following God's guidance. Loosening roots in God's creation, remembering God's work, and following God's guidance. Let's look at the first one together. Loosening roots in God's creation. The first lesson that God teaches us about readiness is readiness is stirred up sometimes through suffering. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said this in his book, Be Still My Soul. And I read this recently in another context, but the quote goes like this. Severe trouble in a true believer has the effect of loosening the soul's roots earthward and tightening the heart's anchor heavenward. So you get this sense of something has uprooted a little bit of the tree, but the anchor in heaven has gotten more and more secure. This is what happens when suffering comes into our lives. And the people of Israel have been in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for over 400 years. Most of that time, slaves to the Egyptians. And they are ready for deliverance. The slavery has had an effect on them of knowing one thing, that Egypt is not their home. They do not want to be under Egypt. And we could say this world is not our home. And they are finding ways, even in the midst of their suffering, to find their hope in God and in the midst of their pain. And they are ready. They are ready to be delivered from Egypt. They are already ready because they have seen nine plagues afflict the Egyptians. And they are watching God's power and God's glory. And they are ready to follow him wherever he leads, whatever he says. And he told them to have unleavened bread and to kill a lamb and to spread the blood on the doorposts and to be ready. 
having belts fastened and shoes ready, staff in hand, and they are ready for whatever he says, whenever he says it, because they have gone through such suffering. They're ready. And I think about readiness when I tell my two younger kids, it's time to go swimming. There's been so many times that we're not going swimming till later on in the afternoon, and yet they come down 7.30 in the morning, fully dressed, ready to go swimming. And here we have the Israelites ready, fully dressed, ready to go, so that whenever God kind of blows the proverbial trumpet, so to speak, they are ready. And that proverbial trumpet is whenever God judges the people of Egypt and he calls them out to go. And so this is what we read in Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. God has done it. What he promised to do in Exodus 12, 12, when he says, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment for I am the Lord. He's done it. He has now executed judgment on all the gods of Egypt. All the gods of Egypt have met their match and the judgments of God are on full display. Why? Because Pharaoh rejected God. The Egyptians rejected the God of Israel for all of their gods. And that rejection led to the just judgment of Yahweh God, the God of Israel. The entire economic and social spectrum, it says, from the king to the one who was in the dungeon. So from the highest social status to the lowest social status, they were judged because they worshipped other gods and they did not bow their hearts to trust in God alone, the God of Israel. And this is a clear picture that no pity will be shown on that last day of judgment because whoever does not trust in Jesus, no matter how kind they might have been or whatever actions they have done on this earth, if they have rejected Jesus, there will be a swift excruciating, just, eternal judgment by Almighty God. And this is heartbreaking. And it must set us on, it must set on us this heaviness, this weight. Just take this COVID-19, for example. I don't know anyone right now that has COVID-19. And yet, some of you may, and it's, it's, global and its impact and yet it will not be without a doubt that we will all know many some close to us who will experience the just eternal conscious torment given by God because these people rejected his son This is devastating. This is excruciating. This is painful. But Jesus must be adored and loved and treasured. There is only one way 
to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And this is a call right now to anyone who is listening who's never surrendered their life to Jesus. Humble yourself. Cast yourself at his feet. Trust that he died in your place. He bore your sins on his shoulders so that he died the just punishment that you deserved and you could be spared that just judgment through faith in him alone. Not in your good works, but through faith in him alone. Repent and trust in Christ. But make no mistake, his judgment is just. And we understand justice. The cries all over our nation right now shows that we understand the need for justice because it's been hardwired into humanity to want justice because we're made in the image of God and God is a just God. But be clear, there is no greater injustice in the world than sinners rejecting Jesus, God's only son, rejecting him who laid down his life for us so that anyone who confesses him might find life eternal. No greater injustice than the rejection of Jesus Christ. Not sex trafficking, not abortion, not racial injustices, not police brutality, not unjust governmental regimes. No greater injustice than God not getting the glory he is due. Please hear me rightly. That is not to diminish the pains of these earthly injustices. They are excruciatingly horrible. But it is to elevate the glory and justice due our God. We need a whole other sermon to deal with the church's responses to injustice on this earth. But right now, that's beyond our scope for Exodus 12 and 13. But as we look at those who are suffering in our day, like the Israelites were suffering under Egyptian oppression, we must listen and weep and grieve and care and come to their aid and advocate for and defend and give them Jesus. But to the one who's suffering, I just say, I want you to take heart. Because your suffering is not pointless. Sometimes it's only through the strong winds of great pain that God loosens our roots on this earth and readies us for the firm ground in the soil of heaven. It helps us prioritize what's important. Suffering helps us to see what life is really about, whether it's suffering that we experience or suffering that we see. And God is weaning us, O sufferer, from the intoxication with this world. And he is setting us free to live our lives for something greater, the glory of God's name, because our citizenship is in heaven. And so as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I encourage you, Exodus reminds us, fear no evil because God is with you and he is readying you for great next steps that he will use you in. But after God's judgment fell upon the Egyptians, we read these words, Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron 
at night and he couldn't wait till the next morning. And he says, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel and go and serve the Lord. As you said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. Roots were loosened and they were ready to respond in haste. And they did. And not only is readiness characterized by loosened roots in this earth, but readiness is characterized by remembering God's work. Remembering God's work. If readiness is stirred through suffering, readiness is supported through remembering. Why is remembering so important? Sin has as its roots the forgetting of God. Hosea chapter 2, after summarizing this long list of sin, summarizes it as, and they forgot God. They forgot me, declares the Lord. Sin has as its essence a forgetting of God and placing the affections that we should have on him, moving it from him to something else. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 9 says that part of our sin is that we are so nearsighted that we are blind, and hear this word, having forgotten not remembering, having forgotten that we were cleansed from our former sins. Our sins are characterized by a forgetfulness, church, a forgetfulness of the loving grace, the cleansing work of Christ's blood on the cross. If we were so enamored by his grace and so convinced of his cleansing blood, it would change how I live and change how you live. And so he says, that forgetfulness causes us to live blind lives. So forgetfulness is important. And as any history teacher worth their salt will tell you, that forgetting lessons of the past leads us to repeat them in the future. And so God is pressing in on us to not forget him to not forget the lessons that he has taught us so that we might be ready to follow him in all that we do. What you remember affects how you live. And the scriptures are the primary place where we remember the Lord. And that's why we've been going through the book of Exodus. It is this constant week after week, remember the Lord, remember his faithfulness to the Israelites, remember his faithfulness to you, remember the Lord. And so what does he want us to remember? What did he want Israel to remember? What's he want us to remember? We can hear it here. He wants us first to remember his promises. Remember God's promises. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, as we continue to walk through Exodus 12. It says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. What happened? God supplied the Israelites with all they needed as they were going to leave Egypt. He supplied them. Why did he do that? Because he was fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham in Genesis 15 when he says that they will leave the land of captivity with great possessions. This is God fulfilling his promises. And this chapter is filled with promise after promise after promise because we read this, Exodus chapter 12, the next several verses, verses 37 through 41. 
He says, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Do you remember the promise made to Abraham? And out of you, I will make a great nation. You see where they are now? 600,000 men plus women and children. You're probably looking at over 2 million people that are now going to be exodused out of Egypt. God is answering all the objectors by saying, I will keep my promise. No matter how many years have passed, I will keep my promise. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 says this. And the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land. Why, why on that very day does he say that? Because he's already promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that after 400 years of affliction, he would deliver his people out of that land of captivity. And he says on that very day, it's like God has a plan. On that very day. It just reminds me of Romans chapter 5, that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God keeps his promises. And he promised Israel in Exodus 13, verse 5, in our passages today, that when the Lord brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, you shall keep this service in this month. He's telling them that year after year after year, as this first month comes around, you should remember this day. Do that once you get in the land. It means he's going to get them, get them to the land. He's going to fulfill his promises. We've been promised so much. So much. He tells us he'll be with us. Death has been defeated. Life in full has been given to us in Christ. We have a hope that will not put us to shame. The gospel is powerful to bring hardened sinners to faith. And through gospel proclamation, all peoples from every nation, tribe, and tongue who trust in Jesus Christ will become followers. And all the nations will characterize God's people. And he will come again and make all wrongs right and execute justice and righteousness on this earth and bring in a new heavens and a new earth. Promise after promise after promise. These are ours. He can be trusted. And readiness rests in remembering those promises and then operating in future grace. William Carey says this, The future is as bright as the promises of God. So you want to find hope today? Remember the promises of God. And therefore, you will have a trajectory with your eyes. I will, we will as a church body, that God is taking us somewhere. There is a hopeful future because his promises are sure. God not only wants us to remember his promises, but to remember his provision. We see that after they had plundered all of the Egyptians' possessions, as the Lord had granted them favor, we read this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 42. And it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel through their generations. So the Exodus begins at night and then for generations upon generation, Israel was supposed to keep remembering God's provision of bringing them out. And we do this too. 
We have Easter that we celebrate to remember his resurrection. We have Christmas to remember the virgin birth and the fulfillment of his promise to send his only son, the Messiah. We do this regularly. We also do it in other ways to say he keeps his promises. Two of our children, we just celebrated their gotcha days. That is their adoption day. And it's so cool because they basically get two birthdays. But why do we do this? We do this to thank God for his constant provision. To thank him for his constant provision that he has made us a family. We thank him for it. And so we celebrate on those days. We remember those days because God has provided that's why we have wedding anniversaries and birthdays. It's not just to honor the people that we love. It is to remember God's provision. He sustained our life. He has sustained our marriage or whatever the anniversary is supporting. That's why we pray at meals. It is the sitting down and stopping and remembering this food is here by God's provision. So we are to remember, remember God's promises, remember God's provision. We're also to remember that God has made the many into one family. And we see that here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, when he begins to describe who is coming out in this basically 2 million plus people, who is coming out, he calls them, chapter 12, verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them, that is the people of Israel, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And then he says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 43 and 40 through 49, he says this, <coughs> excuse me, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. And hear this. He will be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. What's the point of this? Well, our passage is teaching us that there were non-Israelites that had accompanied the people of Israel. Those who had seen the God of Israel at work and had wanted to follow the people of Israel. However, whether they were leaving because of these plagues or whether they were wanting to really follow Israel's God, this is the test. If you want to take the Passover, you got to be all in by having yourself, males, and all of your male children circumcised. If you want to participate in this, you must be circumcised. But then when you are, which is an exercise of faith, it's more about the faith, then it is the action. It's The action is the fruit of the faith. But if you are circumcised, you were treated as one. You were a native of the land. Whether you were an Israelite or a sojourner, you were a native, and there was one law. And how does this come to us in Jesus? Well, first of all, this is 
One of the reasons why Jesus' bones were not broken on the cross, here it says that the Passover lamb, there should not be any bones broken. And Jesus was our Passover lamb. But because we all have one Passover lamb, under the inauguration of the new covenant, Christ's finished work on the cross and his glorious resurrection have rendered this, that the sign of being a part of God's family is no longer circumcision, it's baptism. And baptism is an expression of our faith in Christ. That's why in the New Testament, baptism is something that happens post-faith. So you trust in Jesus, the first act of obedience is meant to be baptism. It is a sign to the world and to yourself and to our great God that you are Christ's and that you love him and treasure him. And that was pre to precede the Passover. Circumcision was to precede the Passover, and this is why baptism historically was to precede the Lord's Supper. But who takes the Lord's Supper together? It is the one new man in Christ. Jews and Gentiles, all ethnicities, washed by the blood of Jesus, made into one new people. A people that rejoice together and weep together and honor one another and listen to one another and care for one another and fight for unity for one another. One new people washed by the blood of Christ. And the Lord's Supper is meant to be a celebration of that week in and week out. And so, what is he calling the church to remember? That by the blood of the sacrificed lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, the many are made into one new family. And he says, you've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. That there is equal value and equal dignity. We must remember that. And now, he also says we must remember. And part of our remembering must come through regular sacrifice. If you look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 1, as we continue through Exodus 12 and 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. What's consecrate mean? It means to set apart as holy. To set apart as this is the Lord's. And it was an action. It was an action. For the firstborn of the livestock, they were killed, sacrificed unto the Lord. And for the firstborn of hum humans and, ironically, of donkeys. I don't know what that means about humans. No, just kidding. We're not donkeys, but this is the deal. It says in Exodus 13, 13, donkeys and humans needed to be redeemed by a lamb. And so... What he does is he takes a lamb, and a lamb is sacrificed to redeem humanity. By killing of a lamb for them, he is setting apart humanity for himself. The shedding of blood was required for the consecration of man. And so this echoes what Matt wonderfully walked us through last week with the Passover lamb, that it is a story of redemption of God's people, that God buys his people back with the gift of his only son. Through the shedding of his blood, we are made his people. But there's something else here about remembering. Remembering requires a regularity to it. There's a regular sacrifice. There is a, it hurts. And 
When you sacrifice your livestock, your firstborn livestock, this is a sense of like, this is your, your pockets that are being affected. It's your economy that's being affected. And this should be an echo of why it's important for us to regularly and consistently give. It's to state that Jesus is our treasure more than this money. And all that we have is his. That's why he wanted the, fir the livestock, the firstborn of the livestock consecrated to him. It is all that I have is yours. And you are the one who has given me all of this. So part of readiness is an acknowledgement that everything I have is God's. It doesn't define me. It doesn't control me. And so I say with a regular action, not just my time, but my giving, I say with a regular action, God, this is yours. All that I have is mine. And that regular action is a way that you are made more and more ready. How are we made ready? We must remember the mighty works of God. And that requires some action. Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. Look at what it says. You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And that was verse 14. So follow it. A little boy looks up at his mom and dad and says, why are you killing that lamb? And why is our normal fluffy bread like a cracker? Why, is, why are we spreading the lamb's blood on a doorpost? This is the child's favorite question. Why? 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 Why, Daddy? Why? God wanted us to be able to say to our children, because the Lord is strong. Because the Lord is mighty. Because the Lord is a deliverer. And the people of Israel were to tell their children, because the Lord delivered us out of slavery to the Egyptians, into the promised land. He has delivered us. He has kept his promises. He has provided for us. He has made us into one people. And he wants us to regularly, with action, remember the works of the Lord. So how do we remember? We stay in God's word. But also we build in rhythms, daily rhythms, Times in God's word, prayers before meals, prayers before bed, just daily rhythms that remind us of God's work. Building weekly or monthly rhythms, a weekly Sabbath day to rest and to focus on the Lord. Gathering with God's people every week to remember that we are one in Christ and to remember his word. Hanging out and gathering with a community group to remember we must do the one another's. Doing the Lord's Supper is a reminder of Christ's sacrifice and his coming. You might have a prayer journal where you write down answers to prayer. These are reminders that you can do on a weekly basis that the Lord 
is at work. And then we have annual markers, Christmas and Easter and anniversaries and birthdays. But all of these are meant to draw your heart to remember that the Lord is at work. Nothing replaces his word though. Nothing. Because his word is the place where his people remember the Lord. And so readiness is supported by remembering. Readiness is not only characterized by loosening roots, remembering God's work, but readiness is forged in the obedience of following God's guidance. And this is where we end. Readiness is forged in the obedience of following God's guidance. Readiness follows God's guidance. The ready follower of Jesus says, I will go with you wherever you lead. You see this in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, 17 through 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That was the most direct route. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Make note, God will not always lead you in the quickest way, but it will always be in the best way. God will not always lead you in the quickest way, but it will always be in the best way. Why? Because he knows us. He knows you. He knows me. He knows when we would turn back to former sins if we went a different way. He knows that the Israelites would want to dive back into slavery when they saw these warring armies in front of them. And so he took them the way that he, he knew was best for them so that they would continue to cling to him. So in the Exodus, we are not just witnessing God bringing the people of Israel into safety out of slavery, although he cares about their groaning and about their slavery, he is positioning them and bringing them out for the advancement of his name. He's not taking them the quickest route. He's taking them the best route to shape them and form them, keep them clinging to him so that they can stand as a representation to all the nations that God is great, that his arm is strong. He is worthy of all allegiance. And so we continue to read in Exodus 13, verses 20 to 22. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to be led at night by a pillar of fire? When the fire stopped, you stopped and you rest. When it moved, you moved. When the pillar of cloud moved during the day, you moved with it. And it was just really clear on exactly where to go and exactly what to do. God does not guide us that way today. So how does he guide us? How does he guide us? How will we know we are ready to follow him, whatever he says, wherever he says to go? Well, he guides us by his Holy Spirit. And readiness to follow him wherever and whenever begins with two words, worship and wisdom. Worship and wisdom. Worship. Worship is seeking Christ first. Seeking his kingdom first above everything else. And as you are 
drawing near to him and prizing him above all things, that's when God begins to cultivate wisdom. It must begin with worship. It's making Jesus the primary aim of our life. And worship, part of that is seen in obeying God and taking him at his word. When people speak about God's guidance, they many times talk about trying to discern God's will. I've been reading a book by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something, and he highlighted this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And he said, like, you want to know what God's will is? I'll tell you what it is right now. And of course, people are thinking, okay, what college should I go to? Who should I marry? You know, what should I do with my career or whatever? You want to know God's will? Here it is. Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And those verses have just stuck with me so much recently. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? It is the battle of every day. Even when your heart feels really down and numb, you'd be like, I can rejoice today. Because Christ has saved me, he has made me his child, and I can rejoice in that salvation, even though, if necessary, I've been grieved with various trials. One day, I will be given a new inheritance that is unfading and undefiled, kept for me. And therefore, I can rejoice, and I can pray continually, continually. That is like, not you're just always saying a prayer, it is that you are in a spirit of prayer, a spirit of desperation, you're constantly remembering the Lord and calling out to him. Not only are you desperate and rejoicing, but you're giving thanks. This is the will of God for you. Find something to be thankful for. It's an echo of Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You want to know the will of the Lord? Worship the Lord. Obey his commands. And then you'll see wisdom begin to be cultivated. Tim Keller and a sermon he does, his plans, your plans. He highlights Proverbs 16.3 and he says this. Com this is Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Keller says this. It means commit your deeds to the, Lord's, to the Lord and you will become more and more a person who makes wise plans. Commit your deeds to the Lord. God, this is yours. I'm taking this step for you. And you'll become more and more of a person whose heart is aligned with his desires. And you'll become a person who makes wise plans. And at that point, you can make decisions with confidence. Because we trust that God is sovereign, working all things according to the counsel of his will. So right now, you and I are standing in God's will. It's a current where he's taking us. And so we can step out in confidence and trust his providence that he will not drop us. He will not leave us alone. He will take us where he wants us to go. Our responsibility is to not resist him, but to submit to him, to worship him, and then to make wise steps, asking him at every turn to guide us as he wishes. Pastor Hunter called me one morning 
and he had been studying the book of Exodus. And he just said, I was reading the book and I was struck that it seems to me in my limited studies that the only place we see in the book of Exodus where Israel fully obeys is right here. There's no complaining. There's no second guessing. There's just, yes, Lord. And look at it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 50 and 51. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. You don't hear that in the book of Exodus right here. But it says, on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. I was so encouraged by Pastor Hunter just wanting to pick up the phone and call and encourage me. But readiness is strengthened through obedience. And the more you and I commit our ways to the Lord in prayer, the more you obey him, the more you respond to his spirit, the more you align yourself with him, and he makes you into a wise person. So the encouragement, roll your plans onto the Lord. Say with John Newton, what you will, O oh God, when you will, how you will. God, I trust you. And so the prayer today is this, God, make us ready. God, make us ready. Let's pray. God, make us ready. Loosen our roots on this earth. Stir us to remember your great works in Scripture and in our lives. Strengthen us to obey you, following you, wherever you guide us, wherever you lead. And Father, we want to answer. We want to answer the question, are you ready to follow Jesus? We want to answer that with yes. Wherever you will, whenever you will, however you will, Father, strengthen us to follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings.